according to pluralism about material objects, it's possible for distinct material objects to coincide at a time. That is to say, it's possible for distinct objects to share exactly the same place at the same time and be constituted the same matter. Pluralism is often, perhaps usually, accepted for reasons of common sense and on the basis of examples uh, such as this one. I have a prop. So you have a, a piece of paper. And when I fold this piece of paper in a certain way, let me just do this live, just be a second. Um, if I fold it in a certain way, I'm thereby creating a paper airplane. <laughs> I'll use this again later, so it's worth. So a piece of paper was there before the, the paper plane appeared. They can't be the same object. So uh, the two artifacts in this scenario seem to be distinct coinciding objects. All of this is familiar. Usual example, statue of the lump of clay, the lump of clay you're familiar with. What I want to do in this talk is raise a problem for this type of pluralism that has to do with determinism. Very roughly, determinism concerns worlds and laws of nature. So a world is deterministic just in case there's only one way it can evolve that is compatible with its laws of nature. If a world is indeterministic, if determinism fails, then it had better fail for a reason with physics. The problem that I want to raise is that cases of distinct coinciding objects, certain cases of distinct coinciding objects, are mundane a priori failures of determinism of the actual world, and therefore are problematic, because determinism shouldn't fail so easily. Um, talk has three parts. In the first part, I want to spend some time distinguishing between different conceptions of determinism, what I call a weak and a strong version of qualitative determinism. In the second part, I want to present the problem, which consists in a priori mundane violations of a stronger version of determinism that I will propose. And in the third part, I will look at three pluralist replies to this problem and argue that each of them is implausible. In the context of the last reply that I look at, the reply that I look at most carefully, I will connect my discussion to the notion of a potentiality of power, which is so important <laughs> as a context, and uh, connect the problem also to the familiar grounding problems. Grounding okay, so let's start. Some thoughts on the notion of determinism. Uh, determinism is a modal notion, and there's this very simple intuitive characterization that I just gave. A world is deterministic just in case, given its laws, there's only one way it can evolve. How can we make this precise? According to David Lewis, uh, determinism is a matter of qualitative properties and relations only. Say that a, a description, a qualitative description of a world is a description of the global pattern of qualitative properties and relations instantiated throughout this world. And we can characterize uh, determinism in the following Louisian way. This is the first bit on the handout. This is weak qualitative determinism, for short, WQD. A possible world W is deterministic, just in case for all times T, there's no possible world with the same laws of nature as W, which matches W in its qualitative description up to T, but which does not match W in its total qualitative description. So if there's a world, it's a qualitative duplicate with the world we're looking at, but qualitatively diverges after any time, then we have an indeterministic world. It's very important to emphasize that only qualitative information plays a role for the question whether a world is deterministic. 
That is to say, hexatistic information doesn't play any role. So cultive description, to which termism sensitive, will include, for example, the description that there is a red object north of a green object. But it will not include information about which object is the red one and which is the green one. Hexatistic information about worlds concerns which objects have which properties, which cultive properties, play which cultive roles at a time. None of this is relevant for qualitative determinism, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is, roughly, that we're interested in determinism in the context of physics. And physical determinism shouldn't be sensitive to hexatistic properties, because these properties are not something that physics is concerned with. Physical theories don't describe the world with respect to which object plays which role, but only in terms of the distribution of qualitative properties. So that's that's Lewis. This conception works well for many cases. A paradigm case of an indeterministic world is um, the case of radioactive decay. So the actual world, uh, we have a certain sample of some radioactive isotope. Right? So we have two worlds, a world in addition to the actual world, that are qualitative duplicates up to a certain time, but at the end of a certain period of time, after, say, T, one world contains half of the sample of the isotope whereas the other world contains three-quarters of the sample. So that's a classic case of an indeterministic world. So the laws don't, de don't determine how the sample decays. Okay, so everything's fine. Nevertheless, so far, nevertheless, WQD is unsatisfactory. And the reason is that it misclassifies certain worlds as deterministic that are intuitively indeterministic. So cases are we intuitively want to say that's an indeterministic world, but they come out as deterministic according to WQD. I want to give you two cases. Very important for the present argument that WQD is too weak, so these, these cases better be convincing that we need a stronger version of determinism. So here's one, here's one case. Uh, this is a case by uh, Joe Melia, and it goes like this. So suppose that there's a world W, it contains nothing but four duplicate blue spheres positioned at the apexes of a perfect tetrahedron. So they're symmetrically arranged. And suppose that in this world there's a law. So these are the four spheres. I'm not going to draw them in this geometrical arrangement. I'm rather just using a space-time diagram. Time goes up, right? So suppose there's a law that after five seconds have passed, one of those four spheres turn pink. And suppose that A is the one that turns pink after five seconds, while the others, other spheres stay blue. So intuitively, this is an indeterministic world. Why? Because the laws of nature fail to determine whether a sphere with a certain qualitative past turns blue. If several spheres with the same qualitative past, one stays blue, the others don't. According to WQD, however, uh, this is a deterministic world, right? because any world that matches this one, this, this is the world W we're looking at, right? any world that matches this one, this is time T, by the way, that matches this one qualitatively up to T, will contain four duplicate uh, spheres, one of which turns pink, and so that there is no qualitative branching at a global level. So WQD misclassifies this world as deterministic. Let me give you another case. Second case, this is a case by, uh, by originally by Mark Wilson, but it's been 
made uh, more prominent by Gordon Bellet. Suppose there's a world W that contains nothing but um, a tower. Perfectly homogeneous, sy symmetrical, cylindrical tower that is positioned, this is the top of the tower, that is positioned on a perfectly spherical, or to draw a perfectly spherical, homogeneous, symmetrical planet. And suppose that there is, all these symmetries are important, right? There's a perfectly uh, spherical weight located on the tower's top. So this is the, this is the weight. Pressing down. According to the standard treatment of this phenomenon, the tower will buckle in a certain direction. Right? So when it buckles, it looks like that. This is the bu buckle tower. And the elbow of collapse will come to rest on a certain segment of the planet. Now, intuitively, this, this is a case of an indeterministic world because the laws of nature in the, in the, the initial conditions do not determine whether a section of, of the planet with a certain qualitative past gets hit by a tower or not. Right? So there are other segments of the planet with the same qualitative past that do not get hit by a tower. But again, WQD classifies this world as a deterministic world and so um, fails to capture this intuition that we have. Okay, before I, I try to improve on WQD, let me emphasize that we shouldn't misdescribe these cases. One might think that what makes these cases, cases of these worlds, um, indeterministic worlds, is something like this. In the actual world, A, let's say this is A and this is sphere B, the actual sphere world, A turns pink, B stays blue, but in another world, B stays pink and, uh, B goes pink and A stays blue. Similarly, one might describe the tower case is a case of an indeterministic world because in one world, say W, this segment of the planet gets hit by a tower, but in another world, this gets hit by a tower. I didn't say these things. I didn't describe these cases in this way. Why? Because these descriptions of the cases involve hexatistic information. They describe these cases as cases concerning which sphere turns pink and which segment of the planet gets hit by a tower. But if this is, this is the only way of describing these cases, then these cases need not worry us. Because as we said at the beginning, in the reason spirit, determinism shouldn't be sensitive to hexatistic properties. Right? So this is, this is what um, characterizes these cases. They're not problematic because they involve hexatistic properties. By contrast, I characterize these cases as intuitive cases of indeterministic world, in a way it's completely independent of hexatistic information, so it's purely quality. What matters, for what I think is the intuitive source of the indeterminacy here, is that W contains an object uh, with a qualitative description, with a qualitative past, and an object with the same qualitative past, and yet they differ with respect to what happens in the future. It doesn't matter which object has that qualitative past. The point is that the laws don't determine what happens to an object with that description, no matter what the, which, which object that is. And similarly for the tower. So we need to try to capture what makes these worlds indeterministic worlds without bringing in hexatistic properties. And I try to do this with the next analysis of determinism on the handout, strong qualitative determinism, SQD, supposed to do the job. So let me introduce this analysis. A possible world is W is deterministic, just in case for all times T and for all objects X and W, 
There is no object in any possible world with the same laws of nature as W, which matches X in its qualitative description up to T, but which does not match X in its total qualitative description. So let me explain what's behind this principle. I wanted to give you this principle first. Here's how we formulate determinism in a way that it captures the troubling differences. Lewis, I think, is right to say that determinism is a matter of qualitative property in relations only. It's a matter of qualitative branching, but there are different types of qualitative branching, what I call local branching and global branching. What's the difference? As I already introduced the notion, the qualitative description of a world is a description of a global pattern of qualitative probability and relations. But we need another notion as well, the notion of a qualitative description of an object, and that's a description of the qualitative properties and relations of a part of a world, an object, over time. So a qualitative description, sometimes called object role, qualitative object role, has a schematic form. The object that is f at t1 and g at t1 and h at t2 and so forth, right? For, for a longer period of time or the whole life of the object. Where f, g, and h are all qualitative properties. Now there are two types of branching. Global qualitative branching, when worlds with the same qualitative description up to t diverge in their description afterward. World as a whole develops differently after t. And there's local qualitative branching when objects, parts of worlds, with the same laws of nature. So parts of worlds with the same laws of nature match in their qualitative description up to a time and then diverge afterwards. Now my diagnosis of these troubling cases is that both the sphere case and the tower case are cases of local qualitative branching without global qualitative. So they're cases where we have distinct objects, mind you, in the same world. We don't have to look at other worlds. In the same world, for example, these two, that match in their qualitative description up to T, but then diverge afterwards. One goes pink, the other doesn't. So in our qualitative description, we center the description on a part of a world. And then we describe, when we compare the centered description to others. This is how the difference that violates determinism shows up in both of these cases. Here, we look at qualitative descriptions, not of the whole world, but of segments of, a, of the same planet. In the same world, we see that there's a case of local qualitative branching with respect to these segments. There's a segment with qualitative description that gets hit by a tower, and a segment with the same qualitative past that does not get hit. So this this is a strong version of qualitative determinism that I want to work with in my follow. So second part, I want to argue now to show you that this plausible conception of of determinism raises a serious problem for a pluralism about material objects of a certain kind. This pluralism is often viewed as the standard version. And it marks a whole class of ontologies of material objects. Aristotelian or neo-Aristotelian ontology of material objects, what I'm talking about. The whole class. Because they're all pluralist in the sense that I'm talking about from now. All of them, typical for neo-Aristotelian approaches, are usually folk-oriented, common-sense-oriented. So uh, the existence of distinct coinciding objects is usually Motivated, motivated by, by recourse to common sense. Furthermore, this type of pluralism 
views objects as three-dimensionalist or enduring objects that stand <laughs> in an asymmetrical dependence relation of constitution <coughs> to other objects. So some objects constitute other objects. For example, uh, now my prop comes to play again, the piece of paper currently constitutes a paper plane, but not the other way around. So the paper plane dependent on the piece of paper. There are other pluralist ontologies of material objects. So other other ontologies that also recognize distinct coinciding objects, such as standard four-dimensionalism. But I'll set them aside here. It's very interesting what they have to say about this problem, with, which prima facie arises for them as well. But in the interest of time, I'll just focus on this problem for three-dimensionalist constitutionalist pluralism, the standard. So, so everyone talks about the statue constituting, now being constituted by the lump of clay is a pluralist of this time. And that's every Aristotelian, near Aristotelian ontology of material I will not, let me emphasize, I will not try to show that there is a problem that the pluralist can't get out of. I just want to show that there is a problem that the pluralist can't get out of easily. So what's the, what's the problem? Take, take the following case. It's a modification of the case I started with. Suppose that the piece of paper and the paper plane are created simultaneously. So, the, so the, really the piece of paper is created in the shape of an airplane. Right? So these, I'm holding two objects that are created simultaneously. At time t, the piece of paper is flattened like that. What happens to the piece of paper? It survives. What happens to the paper plane? It goes out of existence. You have two objects. I'm drawing the paths of these two objects. They're coinciding, but I'm, I'm drawing two coinciding objects next to each other, just for, for illustrative purposes. The piece of paper, as is flattened at time t, continues to exist, but the paper plane goes out of existence. So we have two objects. Remember, they're supposed to be um, coinciding the same spatial location. We have two objects that have matching qualitative, intrinsic, and relational path, pasts up to t, but diverging futures. One continues to exist, the other goes on. It's important for this case, it's an assumption I'm making to start with, that before t, the piece of paper and the paper plane are qualitatively indiscernible. So they really have all the same qualitative properties and relations before t. Even the intentional relations in which we stand to them are all the same. Right? Everything, so we don't like one more than the other. We like them more the same. There's just no differences. And then at t, one goes out of distance, the other doesn't. That's local qualitative branching, exactly the type of branching that violates the strong version of qualitative determinism, SQD. So we suppose that this is the actual world. I just did it. Um, it turns out that the actual world is indeterministic on this graph. That's problematic, but it's not problematic simply because that's the conclusion that the actual world is indeterministic. The actual world may turn out to be indeterministic. Fine. The problem is not the fact that the actual world is indeterministic, but rather how it turns out to be indeterministic. As uh, John Ehrman and John Norton say in a completely unrelated uh, discussion about deterministic uh, issues. Um, determinism 
may fail, but if it fails, it should fail for a reason in physics. It's implausible to suppose that the actual world um, could turn out to be indeterministic on grounds we come up with from the armchair on very little reflection. I mean, what I just gave in this case, given SQD, it couldn't be much simpler. The, the reflection on this case can't be enough to show that the action was indeterministic. As Ehrman puts in another place, indeterminism, sorry, determinism should be given a fighting chance. It can't be that easy. Okay, so, but what exactly is the problem? Is it the a priori part? Is that, that the case is more or less a priori? Would it, you know, go out and do physics, experiments? No, that's, that's not, that's not it. Because we have to expect purely a priori failures of, of determinism of the actual world, right? Because, um, take the case of, uh, of quantum theory, whether, the actual world, um, whether theory um, violates determinism, will never be decided by an experiment. It's an a priori matter. It, it concerns the question whether the quantum formalism is interpreted as postulating deterministic laws, or whether it's interpreted as involving irreducibly stochastic uh, dynamics. That's a priori issue, how this formalism is interpreted. So that's a case of an a priori failure of determinism. That's not the main issue. The real problem is that determinism shouldn't, determinism of the actual world shouldn't fail for reasons that are a priori and also mundane. But harmless, pre-theoretical. It can't be that easy. That would be cheap in determinism. And determinism shouldn't come for cheap. All we need here is um, the supposition that there's a piece of paper and there's a paper plane and the pre-theoretical a priori assumption entirely commonsensical that if a paper plane gets flattened it goes out of existence but if a piece of paper gets flattened it doesn't go out of existence. That's all we need. It really can't be that easy. Call this the problem of achievement determines. This is not the only case, a piece of paper in the paper plane that constitutes a cheap violation of determinism of the actual world. A cheap and therefore problematic violation. Let me give you another case. There's a reason why I give you a second case. It will be relevant for my discussion of various replies. So suppose um, we arrange a plurality of bricks in the shape of a house. Then we have a house-shaped aggregate of bricks, and we have a house. Now suppose we, we add a brick to the house. Then the house, so suppose we add the brick at time t. Uh, then the house grows a bit bigger. It grows by this, by this brick. So that's the, the house without the brick, and we add the house, and it grows a bit. Well, what happens to the aggregate of bricks as you add a new brick? It doesn't grow because the brick is just an attachment to it. The brick just gets attached to it. The aggregate of bricks doesn't, doesn't grow. So this is what the aggregate of bricks looks like. I'm not drawing the attached brick. I'm just representing the objects that we're looking at. 
So what do we have? Well, we have two objects. Again, up to t, they're supposed to be coincident. They have the same, exactly the same intrinsic and qualitative description before t, but diverge afterwards. One grows a bit, the other doesn't grow. That's a local case of local qualitative branching, and hence a case of failure of determinism of the actual world. Notice that determinism fails because we're assuming the strong version of qualitative determinism, right? the version that centers our qualitative descriptions on, on objects, or object roles. Um, on the weak version, WQD, these cases are, are unproblematic. They don't render the actual world indeterministic. Take this case. Um, in the actual world, um, we have a piece of paper and a coinciding paper plane entitled T, then the piece of paper is flattened, the paper plane goes out of existence, the piece of paper continues. That's the global description. Any world with the same global description up to T, containing a piece of paper and a paper plane and flattening at T, will after T also contain a paper plane that continues to exist in a piece of paper that goes out of existence. At a global level, there's no branching. The branching only uh, shows up when we move to descriptions of parts of worlds. Okay, so that's that's the problem. In the, th in the third part, okay, so th in the third part I want to look at three replies. Three replies on behalf of the pluralist. And it could be replies looking at other ontology of material objects that share the acceptance of distinct coinciding objects and then try to show that there is no failure of determinism in their case. But I want to focus on, on three-dimensionalist constitutionalist pluralism and see whether they can get out of this. The first two replies resort to tweaking SQD, so trying to modify SQD in a certain way so that the cases are unproblematic. And the third one, third reply follows a different strategy. Let me emphasize again that I'm not trying to argue that game's over for pluralism in light of these considerations. I just want to show that there's a serious problem that pluralists of this stripe should take seriously and that hasn't been. Okay, so the first reply is to strengthen SQD. Supposing that a material object that exists at a time can be, can occur in different possible futures, so basically from trans-world identity, then uh, we can consider the following day-ray version of determinism. Actually, I have this label, I think I have it from John Alphon, who discusses it in a completely different context somewhere. So this is DRD, day-ray determinism on the handout. Strengthening of SQD. It says a possible world W is deterministic just in case for all times T and for all objects X and W. There is no possible world W star with the same laws of nature as W, such that X's cultive description up to T and W star matches X's cultive description up to T and W, but X's total cultive description in W star does not match X's cultive description W. So you notice that suddenly we're not just talking about cultive descriptions of objects and comparing them, we're talking about cultive descriptions of the same object. This is why the X occurs all over in this analysis. The crux of this formulation of uh, determinism is that cases of the local qualitative branching 
are only allowed to violate determinism of a world if these cases of local quality branching happen to one and the same object. So if one and the same object diverges qualitatively, varies modally by in one world having one description up to T, another world having the same description up to T, but a different description afterwards. That's the crux. So first of all, just to get a feel, this works well for the case, the world of the sphere and the world of the tower. Works well means it correctly classifies these worlds as indeterministic worlds. Here, we have the case in the actual world, it's A that turns pink at T and not B. In another world, it's B that turns pink at T but not A. By DRD, the De Ray version is an indeterministic world. And similarly, analogously, really, for the tower case where we have to do this not with spheres but with sections of it. But, okay, what, what about the case we're really interested in? This one. Piece of paper is flattened, doesn't go out of existence, paper plane is flattened, goes out of existence. Same call description before T, but different one afterwards. Nevertheless, this is an indeterministic world, excuse me, this is a deterministic world just as we expected, not an indeterministic world, for the following reason. Just look at the, the piece of paper. The piece of paper, as it's flattened, continues to exist. Now, in any world where you have that piece of paper with the same initial conditions and the same description up to T, that piece of paper survives the flattening. There's no branching with respect to the piece of paper. It will always stay alive under these conditions. The paper plane goes out of existence upon flattening. Now, in any world which we have that, that object, the paper plane, under the same conditions and the same laws, it will go out of existence. There's no modal variation, no, no branching with respect to this object. So there's no DRA branching, and so there's no failure of the terminism. So that's all well and good in the sense that it gives us the desired result, but it gives us in a, in a wrong way. Because, of course, what we brought in to formulate DRA determinism is hexatistic information. Information about which object plays the qualitative Role. Which object is involved in the branching? But hexatistic properties, which object has which qualitative properties, and which world, which time, just that shouldn't, shouldn't be something that determinism is sensitive to because that's not something physics concerns, concerns itself with. So, DRA determinism is the wrong way. We have to look at another way. And on behalf of the pluralists. Second reply, restrict SQD. The plan of this reply is to say that there is, in both of these cases, local qualitative branching in the descriptions of objects. But it's not the kind of local qualitative branching that determinism is sensitive to. So they're harmless cases. So we're restricting SQD in the sense that the branching that matters is of a certain type, and these cases are not of that type. Let's introduce a label. Let's say cases of local qualitative branching with determinism violating powers are genuine cases of local quality. So, um, with this label, we can restrict SQD, as called RSQD, Restricted Strong Quality Determinism, with a notion of genuine branching or genuine divergence of qualitative descriptions. I'll explain this in a moment, but I will give you the, the analysis first up, okay? So here it is. This is the last uh, analysis on the handout. A possible world W is deterministic, just in case for all times t and for all objects x and w, this is all the same as SQD so far. There is no object in any world 
with the same laws as W, which matches X and its causal description up to T, so far the same, but now which and which genuinely diverges from X and its total causal description. So these are cases where the causal descriptions do not genuinely diverge, and therefore they're kind of this is this is just a strategy. So I'm just trying to give you the content now how it's supposed to work. What does genuine branching, genuine local quadrant branching amount to? The chorus might say that genuine local quadrant branching is either branching that is fundamental or grounded in fundamental branching. So we're talking about now not just causative properties, but we're talking about their status, whether they're fundamental properties or merely derivative properties. Okay, how's it supposed to work? Um, here we need a little bit of background to understand how this should give the pluralist a handle on the problem. So here's here's the background. Let's assume a distinction since we're talking about material objects between structured material objects and unstructured material objects. Structured material objects include artifacts, paper plane, and organisms. And they're structured in the sense that their parts are organized in a certain way. They're held together by some principle of unity. On the other hand, we have unstructured objects, and they include, first of all, partless particles. They, they don't have parts, so they can't have a neurological structure. But more importantly, they include just aggregates of masses of particles, right? So uh, unstructured objects that are complex are just classical neurological fusions of particles. But their parts don't have any order, they're not structured. Now suppose that all structured objects, paper planes, organisms, are constituted by unstructured aggregates of particles. And suppose that structured objects have certain properties non-fundamentally or derivatively, in virtue of inheriting, inheriting them, borrowing them from the unstructured aggregates that are constituted by. Say that structured Objects have a certain mass, given mass at a time, or given materiality as a part of the time, only in virtue of being at that time constituted by an unstructured mass of matter that has that ma fusion of particles that has that mass fundamentally, non-derivatively at that time. And by being constituted at that time by a certain aggregate that has that part non-derivatively. So that's the uh, that's the picture. Now let's, the picture we need as background. Now let's apply this strategy, this version of determinism, to the case of the, the house and the brick. Suppose I'm going to tell the story slightly differently, just to rule out some potential difficulty. Suppose that a um, plurality of particles is arranged in the shape of a house. Then we have a house and we have an aggregate of particles. The aggregate of particles as a new plurality of particles in the shape of a brick is added, doesn't grow, but the house grows. So we have this seeming case of a local quality branching. But, the pluralist might say, that's not a case of genuine branching. Genuine branching only concerns branching with respect to fundamental properties, or branching that is grounded by branching fundamental properties. And that that's not a case where we have that. Why not? Well, the house is an artifact. It's a structured object. And it seems that it changes neurologically. It seems that it gains some particles as new parts. But that's just metaphysically superficial. What really happens more fundamentally is that there's this original aggregate of particles. This is this one. 
exactly the same one over here that constitutes the house up to t and then is replaced by a new aggregate of particles is this one a bigger one this now includes the particles in the brick shape after t so the mirological change really fundamentally doesn't happen to the same object fundamentally it's two objects that have different parts and the house just, is just constituted by the first aggregate before t and by the second aggregate afterwards. So if we look at it at the more fundamental level, we don't have any branching in neurological form. The branching is metaphysically superficial, but the only branching that is allowed to violate determinism is the one that is fundamental or groundism. Okay, so that works quite nicely in the house case. It unfortunately doesn't work with the case that is my focus here, the piece of paper you made. Why not? Well, here we have branching not in mirological properties, we have branching that concerns persistence, property of existing at a time. A piece of paper continues to exist after t, the paper plane goes out of existence. Why is this case different? Well, the pluralist that goes for this distinction between structured and unstructured objects may well help herself to a conception of certain properties that are derivative, that are inherited by constituting unstructured objects. But existing at a time, or if you, if you like spatial temporal location, is not one of those properties. But according to near-Aristotelian pluralists, or Aristotelian pluralists, the two coinciding objects do not exist at a time or have spatial temporal location in fundamentally different ways. It's not that um, the piece of paper exists at a time, or has a spatial temporal location in a metaphysically less robust way than the coinciding piece of paper, right? They, they persist in the same, the same fundamental way, at least in the same robust way. So this branching concerning persistence doesn't appear just because we analyze persistence in some ways. It doesn't turn out, in other words, that this divergence in persistence is just an illusion that happens at a level fairly high up because structured objects Paper, like a paper plane are really just abstract constructions about abstract constructions from objects that are genuinely material. No, no, they're both material in the same way. It's, they're both equally robustly material. So this reply doesn't work for this case. Flores needs another way out. I'm coming to the final, final reply. The strategy of the third reply uh, is not to tweak SQD, but to, to leave it <coughs> Leave it alone and say really what explains why, let's focus on this case, what explains why this is a deterministic and not an indeterministic world is that there is no local qualitative branching because before t they're not qualitatively indiscernible. They have different properties before t, so there's no match before t. And so we can just view this as a case where we don't have branching in the first place. Okay, so but then we. In that case, we need a qualitative difference between the piece of paper and the paper plane before t. But what, what could this be? It's very common and very natural to say they're different in their modal properties, in their day-ray modal properties. How so? Well, a piece of paper can survive flattening. It's flattenable, but the paper plane is not flattenable, it's unflattenable. That's, that's a difference. That's a difference they have before t. Okay, but we have to work this out a little more on behalf of the pluralist. So the pluralist needs to say these are modal potentialities, these are powers that uh, these things have. They're different powers, they're different potentialities. 
and they belong in the qualitative past of these objects. So being flattenable has to be viewed as a, as a property that an object has at a time. And secondly, is a property that has to be viewed as temporally intrinsic. Right? So the application of such a potentiality is not meant to involve facts about the object at any other time. So if an object is flattenable at a time, its flattenability just concerns the object at that time. And so can it can be appealed to by the pluralist to say they have a different past, they have a different cognitive description before it. So this really is a way out of the problem. But we're not done because of course this reply um, fails to meet a certain reasonable explanatory requirement. What explains the difference in modal properties? What explains the difference in potential, uh, modal potentialities between the piece of paper and the coinciding paper plane? At a time. Now, I don't, have to, have to, I don't have to say this here. There are pluralists who are perfectly happy to accept brute powers. And whether or not we're ultimately convinced that objects can have brute powers, that, that cannot be the starting point in a discussion like this. The starting point has to be we need to find, we need to look for an explanation of such a de re mode difference. And we, have, we need to explain why one object has one potentiality and the other doesn't. And the explanation has to be in terms of non-modal categorical properties. Clearly, that's where we have to start. And that's the so-called grounding problem. The problem of explaining differences such as this one in de re modal potentiality. Okay, so let me say that I'm not here primarily primarily interested in discussing whether and how pluralists can exactly solve the grounding problem. Incidentally, I think that this can be done. Um, I think that the prospects for, for three-dimensionalist constitutional explorers are good, as I think evidence, particularly by Kit Fine's work on the issue. But I'm, as I said, I'm not interested in how exactly this works. What I'm interested in is and showing that no matter how they solve the grounding problem, whichever grounds of the modal difference they come up with will not be usable by the pluralist to block cheap indeterminacy. So let me explain. Question is what one is flattenable, one is flattenable, the other is. What grounds the what grounds the difference? Again, it's natural to say what grounds the difference is a difference in kind, in different sort of properties. Why is one object flattenable? Because it's a piece of paper. Why is the other not flattenable? Because it's a paper plane. Because it belongs to different kinds. Of course, this only works if if you construe kinds, the sort of differences, as non-modal categorical differences. So you can't ground them in modal properties. They have to be non-modal. Okay, that's plausible. That explanation is plausible, but it's incomplete as an uh, account of the grounding problem because sorrow differences or kind differences are themselves in need of of explanation. Where in the world does that kind difference come from. Maybe fundamental particles differ in kind and there's no explanation why, but we're talking about ordinary kinds such as piece of paper and paper plane. It would be very surprising if these kinds, facts about these kinds were fundamental in the world. Okay, so there are different proposals of how floors can ground kind differences. I'm not interested in the details. I want to argue that whatever the grounds Whichever properties constitute the grounds, these properties cannot be appealed to by pluralists to avoid cheap indeterminacy. First of all, kind differences can't be 
grounded in temporally intrinsic qualitative profiles. Thinking that one belongs to one kind and the other coinciding objects belong to another can't be grounded in what the objects objects are like at a particular time, because before T these two objects are intrinsic and relational qualitative duplicates and yet belong to different kinds, so that can't be the ground. The only properties explorers can appeal to to ground sorrow difference and kind difference are, I suggest, properties an object has absolutely or simplicity. Not a property not a property relation object has at a time, but it has absolutely. A properties that an object has subspatial fraternity context. And for this reason, these properties can't be appealed to in blocking achieved from determinism. So here's a, here's a constraint of which properties can be, can be appealed to, to block achievement determinism by saying, they aren't the same before T. This is a constraint I've been presupposing all along. What matters for the question whether a world is deterministic or not, is the laws of nature and the qualitative properties and relations an object has up to a certain time, given time T. So what matters are partial histories of objects. The question is whether the laws determine for that partial history what happens next. So in specifying a partial history, you're specifying properties that are temporally intrinsic to an object that are confined to the period up to a given time t. And don't look beyond t. But properties that are able to ground differences in kind are not temporally intrinsic properties. They're properties an object has simplicity, absolutely. So they're not properties of the category that we have to appeal to in specifying partial histories of objects. They're not confined to the description of the object until a certain time. They're absolute, dis absolute descriptions of objects point beyond that time. Look into the future. You can't appeal to those if you want to know whether the laws of the past description are enough to see whether, uh, how the object continues to evolve. And that's why any ground, any grounding property whatsoever, any property that is able to ground kind differences and modal differences for pluralists is a property of the wrong category for determinism to be sensitive to. Okay, so that, that, that's my objection to the third reply, which leaves the pluralist in a dilemma. The dilemma is this, either solve the grounding problem by grounding modal differences and kind differences, in absolute properties of objects and leave the problem of achievement determinism wide open or solve the problem of achievement determinism by saying that these coinciding objects are not qualitative duplicates up to T because they have different primitive powers and leave the grounding problem in the dark. You can't have a 12 place as it was. You can't solve both problems. So what does the discussion show? I don't think it shows that there's no way out for the pluralist we're looking at. But it, I think it shows at least that it's very difficult for the pluralist to find a cure that isn't worse than a disease. And so I conclude that uh, the neuroscience pluralists should take this problem. Thank you. Thank you.